If you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Daniel chapter 6. And as you're turning there, let me just say that, that our God comes through always. Right? Like He, he never doesn't come through. Okay? Like, he, the, only, the only time we think He doesn't come through was when, is when He comes through in ways that we, don't, we think He should have done it some other way. Okay, like, like our, we can't wrap our minds around His goodness sometimes. Okay, He always, he always comes through even when we, we don't think He is. Even when it doesn't look like it. And, and because He always comes through, it's possible to thrive in a Babylonian culture. It, it, it's possible to thrive in a culture that's hostile to things of God. You see, there's... Every chapter we've seen some hostility towards God or His people. Like, like in Daniel, every chapter there's been this hostility. Something that has to be overcome. And there's been new kings. There's been new leadership. Um, there's been new pressures. But Daniel seems to rise to power um, every, every time. Like under every leadership, God brings him to a place of authority. Daniel to a place of authority. And he's going to in chapter 6 as well. Even though we're about to be introduced to a new king. It's because God is working in Daniel's life. Alright? Like Daniel's not rising to power because he's some superstar Christian who always gets it right. But it is the providence of God in his life that brings him through all the things that he goes through. Everything that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go through. It's the providence of God bringing them through it. And Daniel's going to be back up in um, the, the, the first in command and in Babylon, he's going to be right up there again um, because of God working in his life. And we're going to read the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 6. If you found that, if, if you're able to, if you would stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. If you remember, Persia has now taken over. There's a new king, um, Darius. So in verse uh, 1, chapter 6, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. Okay, new king, new leadership. He's already back to the place on top. Whom, um, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find the ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. It, doesn't that just happen, right? Like whenever God is working, doesn't the enemy stir things to try to bring against God's elect? Does he not do that? Um, verse uh, 4, Then the high officials and satraps sought, sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but if they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 6, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to, king, to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, and the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we've all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god, which there were many that they were worshiping, or man, 
for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he'd done previously. Then those men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king, um, said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Verse 14, Then the king, who, when he heard these words, he was in much distress and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Sleep fled him. Verse 19, Then at break of the break of day, the king arose, went in haste, to the den of the lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continuously, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those who had those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, before they'd reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. Verse 25, Then Darius, King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree. And in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall, shall, be to the end, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues his works, signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So chapter 6 is all about opposition that are direct, that's directed at God's people because of their faith. Okay? Um, Christ-centered op- through opposition. We're looking at opposition that's directed at God's people because of their faith. You see, this law 
It's signed into effect and it's meant to persecute God's people. It's meant to persecute Daniel. Okay, so like the, the law of the land is written to persecute a man of God. Now, now we're not there yet. Okay, as a nation, we're not there yet. Okay, what, what happened in Sutherland Springs um, this last week, um, he, maybe he had a thing against um, the church, maybe he had a thing against his mother-in-law, maybe, maybe he hated Christians, maybe he was just crazy. But, but this man goes into a church and begins to mow down worshipers. Now listen, well, let me tell you why we're not there yet, because had this man lived, he would have faced the full wrath of the courts of the United States of America and justice would have been served. Okay? Like, like, like our nation has no laws that persecute us, us as Christians. Now, now there are some things that, that we can make a case on. But, but for the most part, those that are against Christianity and hostile against Christianity, um, they're, they're individuals or maybe pockets of isolation. It's not the law of the land that we cannot worship. Aren't you glad? We, we live in a country where we can still worship. But I, can I tell you that opposition seems to be getting stronger every day against the people of God. Like, like look where the last five, last ten years has brought us in our country and think about what the next five or ten years might look like. I mean, your, your kids who are small or your grandkids, think about what it might look like when they're your age. Opposition is coming. It's getting stronger. The question is, how are we going to be Christ-centered through opposition? Right? Because Scripture says we're not the type that shrinks back in fear, but the ones that stand firm and are saved. Right? Like, like we're not meant to shrink back and be fearful. We're meant to be Christ-centered through opposition. So the question becomes, how do we do that? What does it look like to be Christ-centered through opposition? You guys with me this morning? Alright, number one, here's how we be, here's how we be Christ-centered through opposition. Here's, here's what we do. Number one, our allegiance to Christ has to be our strongest allegiance. Okay? Our allegiance to Christ has to be our strongest allegiance. Now look with me in verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these should, satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Verse 3, Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because he had an excellent spirit that was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Alright, listen. He planned to do that because what Daniel had exemplified um, was this was this spirit of understanding, this, this faithfulness, this character, and he knew that he would suffer no loss as long as Daniel was leading. Okay, as long as Daniel was in charge, um, Daniel wasn't the king, Daniel wasn't over the king, but the king had set him up in a place um, of, of very, very, very strong power, very much powerful. Um, Daniel didn't get there by accident. Like, like he doesn't get there without showing loyalty to this king. 
And if you, if you look at what's going on in, in the Old Testament, and, and you look at what, what goes on in history, um, even, even some of the things that we read in literature in, in high school, like Julius Caesar and everybody, and everybody rebelling against him and, and, and um, murdering him, you know, um, what, what happened was this is very common with, with kings. And so whoever was closest to the king had to be very trustworthy, had to be trusted. And so, so Daniel gets to where he's at because um, part of his mind, part of his actions was in allegiance to this king. Okay, like Daniel's not not over there being like, oh, I'm not doing that because because that's um, not what God had me to do. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, you do that. No, I'm not going to do that. That's a bad idea, King. Don't do that. Don't. He's not doing that. Like there's a, there's some allegiance to this to this king that's hostile towards the things of, of God. Is is his God? But but he's got allegiance to this guy to to this king. You know, it's like Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah's a prophet, kind of the same time period. They're going into exile, and the people are like, what do we do? And Jeremiah says, here's what you should do. You should seek the welfare of the city in which you're going. So they're going to Babylon, this hostile place, and what God tells them to do through Jeremiah is to seek the welfare of this place. And so that's what Daniel's doing. And, and as Daniel is being loyal to this king, he rises to power. Now look at verse 4. The high officials of Satrap sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. In other words, what the king wanted established, Daniel carried out and he was trustworthy and he was faithful to do that. He was, his allegiance was to this king, Darius. Verse 5, Then these men said, We shall, find no, we shall not find any ground on complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law his God. What did they know? That, they, that Daniel had this allegiance that was even stronger than, than to this king. Like, so they say, we're, we're not going to get Daniel if we go at him. We've got to go at his God. They knew that his allegiance to God was higher than anything else. You know, yesterday, and, and even last Sunday, we recognized better, our veterans and um, listen, my, my grandpa um, was a veteran, ended up dying complications from, from Agent Orange, you know, many years later. He was a veteran. Um, I, I say that with pride. Um, my dad has instilled that pride in me for our, for our military from the time I was growing up. Um, I've, I've got family that served. Um, some of my, my good friends, my best friends that God has blessed me with in, in this church serve our military in, in I'm very faithful. I'm very proud of that. So I want to preface what I'm about to say with that. As I think back on my childhood, I recall a time, probably around the 4th of July, when the special music that was sung was I'm proud to be an American. And as a child, I watched my, my home church stand unprovoked, unannounced, stand with pride, tears streaming down their face as they sang the words, I'm proud to be an American. And they hooped and hollered, and it was a joyful occasion. And as I look back on my childhood, 
the most worshipful experience I ever experienced at my church, my home church, was singing to our country and not to our God. You could hardly get anyone to stand to sing to the Lord. And when they did, it was soft and without emotion. And I've seen that same event play in church after church after church. The most worshipful experience was not worshiping our Lord, but our country. Listen, if your allegiance to Christ is not your strongest allegiance, you will cave under opposition. You, you just will. Listen, I love our country. I love our military. I love all that. But listen, our allegiance, our pledge of allegiance cannot supersede, to our country cannot supersede our pledge of allegiance to our God. We'll cave under pressure if, if, if not. Listen, if your allegiance to Christ is not your strongest allegiance, you won't speak of Christ at work for fear of losing your job. If, if, Christ, if, your, if your allegiance to Christ is not your strongest allegiance, you're going to cave under pressure whenever the sports teams is like, we've, we've got to play here instead of worship. Or, or, or your entertainment or your hobby says, you've got to do this instead of going to church. Okay. If your allegiance to Christ is not your strongest allegiance, you'll be deemed ineffective for advancing the kingdom of God. And see, the enemy, he, he knows this. The enemy knows this, and so he's going to fight for your allegiance. He's going to fight for your allegiance, and so what he's going to do is he's going to try to stir up emotion, if he could, in this, or in this. Or he's going to make sure that things cross your path that make you um, distracted and, and, and chase after this or chase after that, rather than chasing after Christ. Church, can I just, can I just encourage you to resist that enemy, can I encourage you to press into Christ, to fill your mind with Christ, to surrender more to Him, to pledge allegiance to Him. When we do, our allegiance grows stronger and more bold than it ever has been. If we are to be Christ-centered through opposition, then our allegiance to Christ has got to be our strongest allegiance. Okay, number two. If, we're gonna, if we are to be Christ-centered through opposition, number two, we have got to prioritize prayer. We've got to prioritize prayer. So look at verse six with me. Then the high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, we all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, who cannot be revoked, which cannot be revoked. Verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So, so let me just... Let me just say what this what this law is about. In other words, um, if you needed if you needed to know something or something was was going on with, with great difficulty, rather than praying, um, you had to go to the king and ask him what you should do. You know, if if there's some sort of medical and you and um, 
um, you've got these doctor's tests coming up. You can't go ask him what's wrong with you. You've got to go to the king and ask him what's wrong or what you should do. You've got to pray to him. You've got to ask his counsel. Um, you cannot seek anything or anyone for 30 days other than this king. Which, which kind of was odd, not, not just from, from a godly standpoint, from those who, loved, who worshiped the true God, but this was a culture that, that they had a God for the sun, they had a God for the moon, they had a God for the crops, they had a God for the rain, they had a God for fertility, they had a God for, for everything. So they're saying, let's put all that on hold, and let's go to, to the king and ask him what we should do um, concerning whatever it is that comes up. And the king thinks, oh, that's probably, that's probably a good idea. I do know a lot. And, and so over and over, you're going to see throughout this text, this, this little this saying or, or the form of it. Once this is signed into effect, it cannot be revoked. Like, like the Persians had this law that when the king decreed something, it could not be, you couldn't go back on it. And so they say it here, and they say it about four times, and because they keep reminding him, hey, you signed this in effect, you can't, you can't change your mind. So that's what this law was about. And you get to verse 10. <clears throat> It says, when Daniel knew. This one's about to set in. But Daniel knows. He, he knows what, what's at stake here. He knows what's going to happen if he prays to the God, the God of the universe. He knows what's going to happen. And it was important enough to him that he prayed anyway. Culture says you can't pray in school, which, by the way, that's not even the law, right? So you can't pray in the workplace, you can't pray here, you can't do that. Or this will happen. Look how Daniel handles it. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So, so a couple things here um, about prioritizing prayer. Listen, Daniel, um, here's the first thing I want to point out about this. First thing, Daniel didn't pray once opposition came. Like he didn't start praying once opposition came. Like Daniel's been doing this probably his whole life in Babylon. Like he goes there as a teenager, and decades later, um, he, he's, he's probably been praying the same, the same time, the same place, the same... I mean, nothing changed. It said as he, as he had done previously, he goes up and he prays three times a day. Like Daniel doesn't start praying when his back's against the wall. Do we? I mean, it seems like our prayer life jumps whenever we're pretty sick. Or our kids are just losing their minds. Or marriage is falling apart. Or things at work, we, we might be losing our job. Like that's when we prioritize prayer, right? And listen, I'm not saying don't go to... Oh, he's saying I can't go pray. I just found out that I've got, I got, I'm getting fired tomorrow and I can't pray about it. That's not what I'm saying. But why wait? I wait till your back's against the wall to start seeking the Lord. 
Like as Daniel prioritizes prayer, he, he doesn't start praying once opposition comes. And listen, I, I would say that because he doesn't wait till then, he has a clear mind of what he needs to do. Like, like he, he knows what he needs to do. One of the reasons I, I believe that God has given him the ability to interpret dreams and, and this excellent spirit that the kings keep describing every chapter that Daniel has is because of his connection with the Lord as he seeks the face of God every day. I would argue that there's nothing incredible about this man, Daniel. But I also would argue that there's something really incredible about the God he talks to. So he doesn't, he doesn't wait. So, so prioritizing prayer, the first thing, Daniel didn't start praying once opposition came. Um, and then the th- second thing I want to point out about prioritizing prayer um, is that his prayer didn't seem to be for his deliverance. Like he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be cast into the den of lions if they catch him. And, and his prayer doesn't seem to be for deliverance. I mean, what... If that was us, okay, if, okay, let's say that, um, that they're going to send us, that if, if anyone catches you praying, they're going to throw you in prison. What, what do we pray? I mean, if we do, it's like in the closet where nobody can see, and we're like, um, God, would you uh, send us new leaders? God, would you change the law? God, would you somehow keep us, or keep, keep us hidden from this? It's like, here's my prayer when I'm in the deer stand. It hadn't worked so far this year. Um, my, my prayer in the deer stand is, God, keep this deer from smelling me. Keep this deer from seeing my movement, from hearing the pounding of my heart as it approaches. Make me invisible. See, that's what we pray. We pray things like that whenever there's opposition. We pray for what's going to make us feel the best, right? The safest, the most comfortable. That's how we pray. Daniel doesn't seem to be praying that. Now, I'd love to be a fly on the wall um, here in Daniel pray. I'd love for it to be written out exactly what was, what was prayed, what was said. But it, but it doesn't show that. Let's look at what it does show. Verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he, where he had windows in his upper chamber Toward Jerusalem. Now, now let me just stop there. Because we're not, we're not given exactly what he says. But the author points out, he thinks it's significant enough that, that the direction he is praying is towards Jerusalem, where they're from. I, I can't help but think as I read the Psalms and I read the other prophets, what's going on at this time, I can't help but think that he's praying a prayer of repentance. The reason they're in Babylon is because they had turned from following Christ and they turned to worshiping idols. They had gone after they chased their own dreams rather than what Christ said that they whether what God said they need to be and, and who they need to become and what they need to be about. So his his windows open towards Jerusalem and he's remembering worshiping in the temple probably as a child. And he's thinking about the, the reason that they're there. I just can't help but think that he's praying repentance. God, forgive us for, what, it, for what, what this has come to, what we've done to get us here. 
You say, aren't you taking liberty in the scripture? Read Daniel chapter 9. And it's Daniel's prayer of repentance for where, where they've become, what they've become as a nation. The sins that, that he himself partook in, not just, not just the nation. He's, re- he's repenting. Forgive us. Not deliver us. God, this is the bed we made. Forgive us. He's probably praying for revival. God, would you send your spirit to draw us, to draw us all into repentance? To draw us all into following you. Imagine him praying, God, I'm the only one praying here. All, all, all my buddies who know you and love you and, and have heard of you, where are they? Here I am praying, seeking you. Would you raise up another man? Would you raise up this group? I'm praying for this guy, for that guy. I'm praying for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know where they're at. We know what they're doing. I'm praying for them. Would you revive them? Would you do in their hearts what you're doing in mine? See, that seems to be the prayer of those closest to God. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are arrested and they're threatened. They say, don't talk about Jesus and you can go. They say, whether we can talk about Jesus or not, you've got to determine that. We're not going to stop speaking of Him. And they go home and they have this prayer meeting. You can read this in Acts chapter 4. And they don't pray for deliverance. They don't pray for safety. They pray for boldness that they would begin or, or that they would to share the good news of the Gospel that God had been in trouble in the first place. Make us bold. Don't let us fear. Because if we fear, we'll stop sharing. And they pray for boldness. In Acts chapter 5, oh, let me read the rest of verse 10. Um, he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he done previously. Again, we don't know what he's praying, but we do know that he's given thanks. What is he giving thanks for? They're in captivity. He's about to go to the lion's den. They're being oppressed. They're far from the temple where they worship God. What's there to give thanks for? Yet here is this man. Because of his relationship with the God, even in the midst of opposition, he's able to pray a prayer. Thanks. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles are again arrested, but this time they're beaten. And it says that the apostles left rejoicing after being beaten because they were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. There's something about when we prioritize prayer and what that does to our spirit and what that does to our relationship as we seek the Lord and we and we and we intercede for others and we and we pray not just for our safety. Listen, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for your healing, for your safety. There's nothing wrong in that. But it seems to be that those closest to God pray something else. They pray for God be lifted, to be glorified, to endure, to give thanks. See, the enemy knows this. And he'll try whatever he can to distract you. Maybe he distracts you with the bad, where it just feels like the weight of the world is on you and that's all you can think about. Maybe the enemy distracts you with the good so that you forget to seek the Lord and go before Him, to seek His face, to give Him thanks. 
He distracts us with all sorts of things. Can I encourage you, church, to resist Him, to press into Christ, to talk to Christ. Listen, if you're having a hard time prioritizing prayer, if you're having a hard time talking to the Lord, if it feels weird, if it's awkward, if it feels like God's silent, let me, let me, let me give you two things you can do. Write down your prayer list and talk about that with God. can't tell you the number of times I've come to prayer to pray. In my mind, be distracted. I'm praying for this, and I'm praying for this, and not, I mean, just all sorts of random things. Listen, when I've written down what it is that's going on, I'm able to stay focused, and I'm able to pray for my marriage. I'm able to pray for my family, and I'm able to pray for my church. I'm able to pray for this. I'm able to pray that, and I'm just focused because I'm staring right in the face what it is that I need to be praying for. That'll help your prayer life. But the second thing you can do to, if, you, if you want to prioritize prayer better, listen, the second thing you can do is you can be around people who are close to God. And you can ask them, teach me to pray. This is exactly what the apostles did with Jesus, right? Teach me to pray. I told you before, some, a couple of guys in Sentinel, I've, I've been pastoring the church for, I've been, I've been a pastor for about three years, and these guys said, come to our prayer meeting. I said, all right, I'll come to your prayer meeting. Listen, I came to a prayer meeting. A couple of guys, um, you know, 60s, 70s, taught me, taught a pastor how to pray. Just hearing them, hearing them intercede, hearing them go before the Lord was different than I was used to. And God did it for me. It was amazing. You want to prioritize prayer, you be around people who pray and are close to the Lord. So here's what we do. Um, our, when we're talking about how we can thrive, um, how we can be Christ-centered through opposition. we got to make sure our allegiance to Christ is our strongest allegiance. We have to prioritize prayer. Um, um, and one, Let me say one last thing about that. All over social media, as soon as the, like the, as soon as the gun's barrel cooled last Sunday, all over social media there were things like, see, prayer doesn't work. Who are you talking to? Where was he? He's right there, listening. Ready to help. For years. You gotta just prioritize it. Number one, our strongest allegiance has to be to Christ has to be stronger. Our strongest allegiance. Number two, we have to prioritize prayer. Number three. Number three, if we are to be Christ centered through opposition, number three, we have to have a greater desire for God's glory than our comfort. We have to have a greater desire for God's glory than our comfort. Hey, look what happens in verse 10. When Daniel knew, let me go back to that, he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to be fed to hungry lions. Not an expert on it, but a hungry lion and a human being, recipe for disaster. Get it? Recipe? I amaze myself sometimes. He knew, he knew what was happening. He would be rather eaten by a hungry lion than in any way diminish glory being directed towards his God. So he knew. He knew what was at stake. He knew the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he previously done. Verse 11, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. 
Then they came near and said to the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? Didn't you do that? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles in Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes a petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. But he couldn't. He couldn't just go back because it was against the law. He labored till the sun went down trying to figure out a way to rescue him. Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, if this is the law of the Medes and Persians, no injunction or ordinance that the king established can change forever. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, deliver you. What you don't see in all that is you don't see Daniel defending himself. You don't see Daniel saying, um, so I'm, I'm like first in command, just, just under you. Tell me again why, why you're letting these guys bull rush you into this. You don't see Daniel saying, look at all the ways I've served you. Look at all the ways you've been blessed. Look at all the wealth and prosperity that, that you have because of me. You don't see Daniel defending himself just like you don't see Jesus defending himself whenever he stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, they're, they're saying all these things. Don't you know I have the power to let you go or to crucify you? There's no need for him to defend himself. You see, those closest to God seem to operate with the mindset that you can take my money, you can take my possessions, you can take my health, you can take my job, you can take my life. Give me Jesus, and I'm okay. They seem to operate with that mindset. And for Daniel, for Daniel to back out, to back down, would have been to seek his own comfort. Instead, Daniel was more set on God's glory than his own comfort. He's ready to go to the lion's den. What was that like? Was there a lion? Was there ten? Was there thirty? We know they're hungry because when he throws the guys in later, it says that their bones were crushed before they even hit the ground. These lions pounced on him. No doubt, Daniel had, had, had to have passed by the lion's den on occasions, maybe looked in. Maybe there are times that he's up praying in his room with his window open and he hears the screams of those who have been dropped into the lion's den for this crime or for that crime. And he knows What's at stake? And he was ready to go there before he thought of his own comfort. The question is, why? Why was he ready to do that? Because he knew what so, what so many other people knew, what so many others know, that Christ is better than anything. 
That's why the Apostle Paul says, you want to let me live? To live as Christ. You want to kill me? To die is gain. Almost sounds like madness. But it is if you don't know Christ. You see, see, Christ is the one thing that can never be taken from us. You can lose your health. You can go to the doctor tomorrow and he can give you the worst news you've ever heard. That can be taken from you. Christ can't. Your spouse, something can happen to them or they can walk out on you. Not Christ. Your kids can't abandon you. They can be taken from you. Not Christ. You can lose your money, your job, like that. Your house can burn down. Not Christ. See, the beauty of our Savior is He doesn't, He doesn't just, He doesn't give us health, wealth, and how He doesn't give us all those things and neglect to give us Himself. Rather, He says, I'll give you the one thing that's more precious than anything else in the universe. It's my Son. You can have Him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll bring love, joy, peace, and kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and self-control, and all the things that we wish we were, but we're not. He brings that. And it will never be taken from you. You see, the reason that Christ can be, can be our, our allegiance to Him can be stronger than any other allegiance. The reason we prioritize prayer, the reason we seek His glory more than we seek our comfort is because He's really worth it. And when faced with opposition, if we remain Christ-centered, no matter what happens, we can be confident that He will be glorified. Look what happens in verse 26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. This is, this is King Darius. For He is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. See, Christ, God in His, in his power and His wisdom and strength, delivered Daniel. Shut the mouth of the lion just by His presence. It doesn't always happen that way. Last week, 26 people, as we've already talked about, were slaughtered as they, as they came and worshipped. Cut down. It doesn't always happen the way that we think it will or should. But I want you to know that it ended well for those who knew Christ, those 26 that, gave that, that died that day. And that's even weird to say that it ended well because it's going to go on and on and on. Them, them in the presence of Christ for all, for all eternity, for those, those who know Him. See, the enemy means things for bad. I want you to know that not one of us probably knew that Sutherland Springs existed before Sunday. Yet, yet all around the world, people know. People know that they're not that they're not scared. They're not, that they're not shrinking back. But those who are left, those who remain until, until they die or until Christ comes, they're back worshiping. Seven days later, you can't, you can't shut them up. You can't shut them down. In this church that, 
that seemed like a dot on the map is now bringing glory to God, saying we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. Our God will come through always. He always does. There's probably more people at that church today, right now, than probably a month of Sundays. Maybe a year. One of the ladies, here's what she said. One of the ladies, um, she went to a funeral of one of the people. She said, I hadn't heard of Sutherland Springs. I just had the feeling that I needed to be there. And when she was at one of the funerals, you know what she heard? The Gospel. She heard the Gospel. Here's what the pastor said of that church. A pastor who lost one of his, one of his daughters um, that day. The pastor said, I don't understand, but I know my God does. Lean into the Lord. Whatever life brings you, lean on the Lord rather than your own understanding. See, when opposition comes, will you be ready? What are you doing now um, to prepare your kids, to prepare your grandkids, to treasure Christ above all things when opposition comes? He gives all we need. You don't have to worry about that. When opposition comes, you, you ever wondered, well, if someone put a gun to my head, would I be able to profess Christ or would I shrink back? Now we wonder what would happen if we're in that moment. Listen, you don't have to wonder. Because if, if Christ is in you, He's all you need, you don't have to worry about that because He'll give you what you need when opposition comes. He's worth it. Let's press into Him today. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that it's always timely. In a, a week after worst shooting, church-related shooting, the, wor- the, wor- the week after, you had this ready for us. You'd already planned that in your providence. And God, we know we can have confidence that whenever our time comes to stand or to shrink back, we can have confidence that we can stand by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of your people. You give us what we need to make sure that, you're, that our allegiance to You is stronger than anything else. God, would You help us to prioritize prayer to not wait until our back's against the wall to cry out to You. But God, may we do that every day so that our spirit will be ready when opposition comes. God, may we seek Your glory above our own. May we seek Your glory above... Uh, participation trophy for our kids? Can we seek Your glory above our hobbies? Can we seek Your glory above the dollar? God, all the things that pull at us, can we seek Your glory instead? Because God, when we're we're walking in these things, great glory is directed at You. Pray the same thing John prays, that You would increase and that we would decrease. Do that even today. God, for the one that should call on the salvation, would you stir in their hearts so they know that they know that they need to follow you. Thank you that you do the work in salvation. Thank you that you draw. Thank you that you save. It would be really cool if, someone, if you save someone today. We're asking you to do that as the only one that can. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.